Hey everybody, my name is Brent Parsley and I am the campus pastor for One Chapel Kyle. Can you hear them? They're out there and they're pretty loud and somewhat obnoxious from time to time and I love them. Hey, uh, we're so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for joining us today for One Chapel Online. It's so great to have you. You know, the world is a really hazardous place. Have you noticed? Several summers ago, my family and I, we went to upstate New York to visit my in-laws. And while we were there, we went to a state park, really beautiful state park, and traveled around and went on hikes and just really enjoying ourselves with my kids' grandparents and uh, their uncle and their aunt. And so while we're driving around, we needed to make a little bit of a pit stop. And so we found this little museum, this little like pioneer museum uh, that kind of gave the history of the area and, and what had happened there through the years and gave a little information about the park. So we went into this quaint little museum to use the restroom. So my girls went in to go to the bathroom and, and my wife and I, we were still sitting in the car. When their Aunt Terry came and found us, it had been quite a while we were sitting there, and she said, um, the girls are stuck in the bathroom. I said, what, what do you mean the girls are stuck in the bathroom? So, well, the guy who operates the place said he knew that the door was would stick from time to time and, and they're in there and they're just stuck. And so I got out, I run into the little, to the little shack and I ran in there and I come up to the door and I see grandpa there and I see uncle Mike there. And so we're trying to figure out what to do. So we're kind of pounding on the door. Hey, you guys, okay, you all right in there? And so the operator comes up and he's standing there. He says, well, I called the maintenance and they're coming. And I said, well, well, how long? And he said, well, I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes? That was not a good answer for me. So my tension is rising, my patience is shrinking, and then my daughter, my youngest daughter, from inside the bathroom, she starts screaming. She is screaming out loud and totally freaking out. And so I said, well, well then we're breaking this door down. And the guy said, oh, no, you're not. But that was all that Uncle Mike needed. Now, Uncle Mike is a big man. So Uncle Mike put his hand on Grandpa's shoulder and his hand on my shoulder, and he jumped up with both feet and kicked the door. Bam, 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 several times, and finally broke the door open. There's splinters flying everywhere, the doorknobs falling off, and Reese, she runs out to me, jumps into my arms, and holds me tight. And everything seemed like it was gonna be okay. Now, this is where the story gets weird, because we ended up just walking out of that little museum. I don't know why we didn't stop. I don't know why we didn't tell anybody anything. We just walked out, got back in our cars, and we drove away. So that was fine until the maintenance people drove up right behind us, screeched to a halt, blocked us in so we couldn't drive anywhere, and we had a little argument there, and then the police came. So the police are there. Now we're in this argument that lasted about three or four hours, to tell you the truth, and at the end of the day, what happened was Uncle Mike paid 50 bucks for the door and we got off scot-free. The reason that I'm telling you this kind of insane story is because we've realized the world is a hazardous place and my daughters on that day, I think they learned something. My daughters learned that when something goes wrong, daddy and Uncle Mike and grandpa are gonna come to their rescue. They're always gonna help. When the hazards of life come, they're gonna have help. And I wanna talk to you about that today. We're in a series of messages, most of you know, that we're calling from here to there. And we're studying through Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. We call, it, we call those the songs of ascents. 
And these 15 Psalms, they were sung by the Hebrew pilgrims as they made their journey up to Jerusalem for their great worship festivals. So the thing for us is in these 15 songs, we find kind of a roadmap for our own journey through life. It's the same journey that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 2, verse 11. It says, friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. Live an exemplary life among the natives so that your actions will refute their prejudices. The apostle Peter was saying, as followers of Jesus, we live our lives differently than everybody else. We do that because this world, it's not our home. He says, so don't make yourselves too cozy in it. Don't wrap yourselves up in the warm blanket of this world. Do you know that feeling? Like when you wake up in the morning and the room is a little bit cold and your blankets are really warm and your pillow is just that perfect temperature, not too hot, not too warm. And then you're thinking, oh, what time is it? What day is it? Do I have to go to work? And then you realize it's Saturday and you get to stay in those perfect conditions for as long as you want. And Peter says, yeah, don't live like that. Don't live like that here in the world. Instead, the example that God gives for us as we follow him, as we get from here to there, is like a pilgrim. It's like a traveler, somebody who's just passing through this world. But the problem we think for most of us is, is that we still live our lives like we belong to this world, like this is our home. So we live like we're maybe a citizen here or a tourist traveling through here. So as a citizen, we live for what we can have and make happen here in the world. As a tourist, we might live just for pleasure and experiences and the stuff that we really want. But a pilgrim is only living for an eternal place called home, living forever with Jesus. So what we're asking in this series is, well, how do I do that? How do I live like a pilgrim here? So today we're looking at Psalm 124, starting in verse one. In the message paraphrase, it says, if God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel, sing out. If God hadn't been for us when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in this wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free of their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. So Psalm 124 describes these different hazards that we'll face in life, like being stuck in bathrooms and of course, much, much worse. But then it goes on to declare that God's help is there whenever you encounter those kinds of hazards. So look at the first two lines of the Psalm because they describe that God is for us. And the last line says, God's strong name is our help. And he's the same God that created the heavens and the earth. And that God is the one who's for you. That God is the one who is your help. But right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, right. Like, God's for me? God's my help? Really? Brent, you might wanna be a little more cautious with your pronouns when you're talking. Because I've looked around my life, and I'm just telling you, all kinds of difficult stuff has happened. Why didn't he come through over here? Why didn't he do this when I needed him? Why are we in the circumstances we're in right now? Listen, as a pastor, I see all sorts of hardships and difficulties as people go through stuff, not, not to mention what we're all going through right now. So you're saying, some of you, God might be your help, but he is definitely not mine. When I'm faced with questions like these, I often feel like I have to come to the rescue and be God's defender. Like, do you ever feel like this? Like, I gotta explain God to his disappointed clients. You know, like, yeah, sorry about that. He's having a rough day. 
you know, coronavirus has been real hard. He's been busy. He's usually not like this. Do you ever feel like that? Like you're the, the clerk in the Christianity complaints department. So we're the ones that are supposed to track down the bad service. We got to look up the bad Yelp reviews, try to right the wrongs that have been made and, and essentially try to apologize for the rudeness of the management of heaven. Listen, God does not need us to defend him. He doesn't need a press secretary explaining that he didn't really say what you thought he said. He doesn't need us to explain his ways to the world. God doesn't need you to do any of that. Eugene Peterson says that the proper work for a follower of Jesus, it's not apology. The proper work is witness. That's what you and I are here to do. Not track down negative Google reviews. We are to proclaim who he is and what he's done to the world. And Psalm 124 is a perfect model for this. It doesn't argue God's help. It doesn't try to explain God and how he's gonna help. It's just a testimony of God's help in a song. And this psalm is so confident. Like it's, it challenges all of those questions. It causes all of us to ask, can there be anybody actually singing with that kind of confidence in life? Is there anybody that could really sing this song? And this psalm, it pulls from Israel's past in such a way that we have to consider the reality of it. And the data in there is so solid that we have to reckon with it before we go back to our complaints. So the witness of this psalm, it's vivid and it's contagious. And it says one person starts and then everybody joins in to say God's help is the norm for God's people. Look again at, verses, at verse one. If God hadn't been for us, all together now, Israel, sing out. If God hadn't been for us when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent. We would have lost our lives in the wild raging water. The first vivid picture this psalm gives us is like a, it's kind of like an enormous dragon, you know, getting swallowed alive, maybe a, a sea monster. And dragons, they represent all of our fears, all the horrible things that might hurt us. I don't know about you, but when I think about a dragon, I can only think of one image. And it's this image right here. This image of a T-Rex coming to destroy and eat everything. Now, if you've ever met a dragon in a fight or perhaps, unfortunately, a T-Rex, you know that you're the underdog. There's no escape for you, like thick skin, fire breathing, sharp tail, insatiable appetite. All this means that you're doomed. And so the obvious picture here in this psalm is when we feel like we're gonna get swallowed alive. And honestly, many of us are having those feelings right now. Many of us are feeling the the loss of a job, or a paycheck, difficulties with family, or dealing with the sickness. Like all of us feel this sense of being swallowed. But the second picture that the Psalm gives us is like a raging flash flood. In the Middle East, the, the irrigation was done by a series of water courses and across the hillside. So if a, if a sudden storm would hit, it would fill all these gullies with water and they'd feed into one another and you'd have a, a flood that would sweep everything away. And that, that posed great threats for the people that lived in those areas. It'd strike quickly, there's no escape. So one moment you're having a barbecue, hanging out with everybody, and the next minute your entire world gets destroyed. No doubt about it, everybody. We all have a greater sense of what that's like right now. You got plans for graduation, and those aren't gonna happen. We have vacations that we had planned. Retirement that we were planning on and hoping for. It feels like it's, much of it's been swept away. Businesses that you've invested your life in, all swept away. And the point is, the psalmist, it's not, he's not someone who just lived the good life. Not just saying, oh, God's been so good, kept me from any and all difficulty. God is good all the time and all the time. Did some of you say it at home? 
I know David Campos said it at home. I'm absolutely certain of it. This person in the psalm has been through the mouth of the dragon. They've lived through the torrential floods and they're still here, intact. So the dragon didn't have the ultimate strength. The flood didn't have the ultimate strength. The ultimate strength was in the God who didn't go off and leave us. When I hear that phrase, go off and leave us, I can only think of one thing. I think about Jurassic Park one more time, and I think about when Gennaro, he's the lawyer. Do you remember this scene? He goes off and he leaves Timmy and Lexi in the vehicle, and so they're lost there, not sure what's gonna happen, and he goes off to the restroom and he hides, and actually that doesn't turn out very well for him if you've seen the movie, but spoiler alert, I guess. I mean, it's pretty old, that's on you. But he's, he's there, it ends poorly for him, and then Dr. Grant comes and finds Timmy and Lexi, and he saves the day. But what Lexi says when she first sees Dr. Grant is, he left us, he left us. Just feeling this sense of overwhelming loss. He's gone, he's not here. He left us defenseless. And do you remember what Dr. Grant says? Dr. Grant, he leans in and he says this, but that's not what I'm gonna do. And that's the story of this Psalm. In fact, verse six says, oh, blessed be God, he did not go off and leave us. Of course, it's still easy to be cynical about this idea. And I think it's because we've grown accustomed to listening to advertisers and PR films, firms, sorry, promise, promising us things. Like we'll watch commercials with info and, and, and uh, paid spokespeople and, and we just don't buy it watching all of this. In fact, some of you are thinking right now, look, you're a pastor. Like you're supposed to say all these things. Of course you're gonna say all that. And I get it, sure. I understand you saying that. Some of you are saying, Look, those are great words in Psalm 124, but how much do they actually get paid for it? I just want you to know Psalm 124 is not a media blitz from God's PR firm. It's not a press release to convince us that God's the best product on the market. Psalm 124 is just an honest prayer, and it's a true witness of the things that God has done. And the people who have tested that and the people who have prayed this, they tell us that it's credible. So here's my question for you. Are you engaged in some hazards right now? Are you engaged in some hazardous work? Like I think about our first responders and I'm so thankful if you're a first responder, if you're on the front lines of this thing and fighting, we love and appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you're doing for all of us. Are you engaged in hazardous work? Certainly probably not as hazardous as that. My work as a pastor isn't necessarily hazardous though it is challenging. It's really no more difficult than anyone else's. And truthfully, all work if it's done well is difficult. But what is hazardous in my life is my work as a follower of Jesus. And actually, it's the same for you. Let me explain. Every single day as a follower of Jesus, you put your faith on the line. Because the truth is, you've, you, you've never seen God. And you live in this world where pretty much everything has to be weighed and explained and subjected to analysis and scientific control. But still, you continue to make God the center of your life a God that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. And that feels pretty hazardous sometimes. I think of that college freshman stepping into that first course and meeting some resistance that maybe they didn't expect. But not only do you put your faith on the line, as a follower of Jesus, every day you put your hope on the line. You don't know anything about what the future is gonna bring. You don't know what the next hour is gonna bring. None of us saw this thing coming. And before this day is over, some of us actually might have to deal with some pain or rejection or loss. You don't know what the future holds for the people that you love, for the community that you live in, for this country or for this world. 
But in spite of all of our ignorance, you continue to pray and believe that God is going to accomplish his will. And you continue to live in the hope that nothing is gonna separate you from his love. Look, that's a risk. It feels hazardous. But not only do you put faith and hope on the line, every day you put love on the line. The reality is for some of us, love's not necessarily the thing that we're best at. Like, I'm far better at competing, crushing, dominating the competition. I'm far better at giving into my own instincts and ambitions to try to get ahead, to make my mark. We're far better at at those things than truly loving other people, putting them first. Most of us have been pretty well trained in getting our own way. And yet you decide every day to do the work, to set aside what you do best and clumsily attempt to open yourself and your heart up to the frustrations and failures of loving other people in your life as you dare to believe that failing at love is better than winning at pride. And it's risky, like it's perilous, it's hazardous. And I can just tell you, I've never done any of those things to my or anyone else's true satisfaction. The Christian life is hazardous work. You engage in hazardous work every day. You're constantly on the edge of possible defeat. You live in the dragon's lair. You live at the edge of the floodplain. But Psalm 124 is not about hazards. Psalm 124 is about help. The setting for the song is the hazardous work of following God as a disciple. But the subject is the reality that he's your help. Psalm 124, six says, oh, blessed be God. He didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. We've flown free from their fangs, free of their traps, free as a bird. Their grip is broken. We're free as a bird in flight. God's strong name is our help, the same God who made heaven and earth. In the midst of the overwhelming hazards of life, and you all know there are plenty. We're like a bird trapped in a snare. When it looks like there's no way out, like this is gonna be the end. In the midst of all that, we still live with the fundamental reality that God is for us. He's for you. Here's the big idea for today. God wants you to sing like this. God wants you to be able to sing like this, not like a self-consumed tourist that's singing songs about how their trip didn't go to plan. All of us are dealing with that right now. My family's been saving and planning for years for a trip to Disney later in the fall, and we don't know if that's gonna happen. It'd be easy for me to run around and just sing that song, but God says, no, don't sing that. You are a strong and vigorous witness to the world that God is your help. Sing that song. Not like a pious citizen that's singing about how my rights have been violated. No, he doesn't want us to sing that way. He wants us to sing, oh, blessed be God. He didn't abandon us defenseless. He is our help. And check out that final sentence. Verse eight, God's strong name is our help. The same God who made heaven and earth. Like, do you see the link here? The God who created heaven and earth is the same God who helps you personally. It's just an incredible reality. The same God that spoke the universe into order is the one that is directly involved in your troubles today. Listen, have you ever taken the time to look at like insignificant everyday items in your house? You look at them and they're not too impressive. But if you take a moment and you magnify those images, you get to see the the beauty. There's beauty in there that we typically overlook in our everyday. Like, I've got some of those pictures here for you today. Check this out. You know what this is? This is regular table salt. 
you look at that on the table and you don't think too much about it. But when you dig down into it, you see some beauty that you didn't know was there. Or check out this image right here. You know what this is? This is Velcro. I know it looks really scary, but it's really helpful if you have small children. This is Velcro. You don't see it when you're helping your little kid put their shoes on and off. But if you magnify it, you see there's a whole world in there that you didn't realize was happening. And one more, check out this image. You know what this is? This is grass. People, I had no idea that grass was this happy. This is absolutely phenomenal. You magnify the image and suddenly you realize there's a whole bunch happening in there that I didn't know was there. We, what we overlooked was careful, planned details that produce some great beauty in God's creation. Look, Psalm 124 is like that. This Psalm is a magnification of the stuff of life that we tend to think of as unpleasant. The stuff that we wanna keep undercover, that we wanna avoid, stuff like suffering and catastrophe and disaster, and yes, even death. There are things that most of us, we wanna talk about these things. But the reality is, these are a very real part of our lives. Psalm 124 digs deeply into these troubles and finds something very beautiful there. That is the presence of the one true God who's on our side. I like how Eugene Peterson talks about this idea. He says, a look to the heavens can bring a breathtaking sense of wonder and majesty. And if a person is a believer, a feeling of praise to the God who made heaven and earth. This Psalm looks the other direction. It looks into the troubles of history, the anxiety of personal conflict and emotional trauma. And it sees there the God who is on our side. God, our help. The close look, the microscopic insight into the dragon's terrors, the, flood, the flood's waters and the imprisoning trap sees the action of God in deliverance. I can look through my life and see this. My parents divorced when I was eight years old and it was the most difficult thing I've ever been through. But when I look back, when I examine that under the microscope, I see God at work, the action of God in deliverance. As you look at your quarantine experience and the difficulty of this season, if you really take time to look at the different things that God has done in your life, I bet the same thing is true for you, that you can see the action of God in deliverance. And that's what Psalm 124 does. It looks into the trouble of your life and there it sees God, who's your help through all the hazards of your life. And it sees how he's working and shaping your life into a beautiful work of art. Listen, it's not our circumstances or our culture that has to define us. It is Jesus. It's the help that we experience, not the hazards that we risk that will shape our lives if we'll allow God to do this. So as we close here today, the question for me becomes, okay, that sounds great. How do I do this? Like, how, how do I actually apply this? I mean, it's easy to say, oh, just trust God for your help and sing the song. It's another thing to actually do it, especially when you're in the dragon's mouth or currently feel like you're being swept away by the flood. Well, Proverbs 3, verse five, it's familiar to a lot of you. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And I heard a definition of trust this past week that I thought was really helpful because I think trust is surrendering what I can't control and only doing the things that I can't control. And I think this is really helpful for where we are today because the most peaceful people through this crisis are the ones that are actually learning to trust. The ones that are just saying, look, God's got this. I mean, honestly, the very worst that can happen is that I spend forever with him in eternity. I, that, that's the worst thing that could go on. 
So if you want peace today, you just got to decide to trust him. So you say, I'm going to give up all the things that I can't control. The vaccine, I can't control and that's going to happen. Getting back into church and seeing everybody, I can't control that. I got to listen to the authorities. Getting back to work, I can't control exactly when that happens. The graduation that I missed, I, I can't control those things. I heard a pastor, Chris Hodges from Alabama. He was on a call with Dr. Henry Cloud, a really helpful counselor and author. And he said, Dr. Cloud said, what you need to do is make a list of everything that you're worried about. Set a timer for 10 minutes and worry yourself to death. Some of you need to do it. And then what you discover is there's nothing I can do about this anyway. And then open up your hands and give all that stuff to God. And then you just double down on what you can control. You surrender the things you can't control and you double down on what you can control. I can control my attitude right now. I can control my prayer life. I can control the way that I'm serving my neighborhood, neighbors and other people. I can control the time that I'm spending with my friends. I, even if it's on Zoom, I can control the time where I'm with my kids and investing in them. I can do all those things. And so as we close, there's a well-known prayer that I think helps us do this. It was written by a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr in the 40s shows up in Alcoholics Anonymous, shows up in Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, if you've read that, even shows up in a movie from Denzel Washington called Flight. And I think it's the prayer of a pilgrim, and it's called the Serenity Prayer. And it goes like this, and I think it's really helpful for where we are. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. So help me to give that stuff up. The courage to change the things I can, take control of my attitude, and the wisdom to know the difference between those living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. And actually the scriptures talk about that journey. Taking as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life. And by the way, everybody, I think that's the best we can hope for in this life, to be reasonably happy but supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Would you bow your heads right where you are in your living room or wherever you are today and just let me take a moment and pray for you? God, I ask that you would help us to do this. Help us to accept things that we can't change and trust you and surrender them to you. Give us courage to change the things that we can, to give those to you as well and to lean into those things and help us to know the difference between those. Father, I pray for all those people that are struggling and in fear today, feeling the anxiety and worry of our current situation. And I ask for the peace and grace of, of God to overwhelm and comfort them in the name of Jesus. Father, would you help us to learn what it means to fully trust in you in this season, to accept your help and to sing the songs of your help and your rescue and your protection. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Now listen, maybe for you today you're saying, I can't sing that song because I realize I'm living this life without protection because I don't even know him. I don't have a relationship with him. Listen, you can change that today. The reality is, is that Jesus has done everything for you to be able to be restored to a relationship with God because sin has broken that relationship. And all it takes is for you to lean in, to believe in him, to receive his life and forgiveness and the price he paid for you on the cross as he shed his blood and paid the penalty for your sin. And he can restore you to relationship with God the Father. If that's you, 
I'll help you with the words. Why don't you just pray a simple prayer like this? Jesus, I choose to believe in you. Help me today. I wanna follow you. And the very best way I know how, I'm giving you my life today. I'm turning from my old life. I'm giving myself to you. Help me to live for you. I receive all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we're so proud of you. It's an incredible decision, and we hope you take some next steps on the journey with us here. Uh, If you didn't fill out a connection card, please make sure to do that and let us know where you're at. If you joined us for the first time today, we would love that. Don't forget that we're having a Zoom lobby right after this, and so you can jump into that Zoom lobby at your campus, um, click the link, and come and join us. We would love to see you there just for a few minutes. And so, hey, one more thing before you go. I wanted to remind you that next Sunday is Mother's Day. And so we're gonna have an incredible, really fun thing that we're gonna do at every campus. We're gonna have like a drive-through parade with all of our staff. And so all you moms, get your family in the car, drive through, and we have a special gift for you. We wanna hang out and celebrate you for a moment, give you a free gift, maybe take some pictures and just enjoy a quick little meet and greet together as you drive through. We'd love the chance to celebrate you, all right? Hey, let me pray this prayer over you and let's get going. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, everybody. Have a great day.